when you think about it, how many conversations do people have a day? How many conversations do you have a day? And do they all go how you want? Do you get what you want from all of them? And I'm guessing probably not. So there's always that opportunity to do something different in those conversations to get what you want. That is Simply Focus with every Channing and Dominic Gooda for live and joy and We've got a brand new exciting episode for you. Please welcome your hosts, Elfie Cherney and Dominic Godad. Hello and welcome back. This is episode number 78. We are here in St. Albans with Janine Waltman. Hi, Janine. Hi, Dominic. Hi, Elfie. It's so great to be here with you. We know each other for quite some years from the Soul Summer Retreat. I think this was where we met for the first time. Yeah. And Dominic and you know each other for even more quite some years. At this year's Soul World Conference, the conference started with two groups, people who came to the conference for the first time and people who went to several conferences and the two of us were standing in one corner Mm -hmm. with a few other people and it was so nice to see the long way we've gone together and also to see the development that happened in those many years so we're very excited to have you here on this podcast with us. Absolutely yes it was very exciting because I connected with the Solutions Focus community in about I think 2002. I got very excited about Solutions Focus and we were just talking we met in 2006 in Vienna. So how many soul summer retreats did you attend so far? I am not sure. I know I was at the first one, which was amazing in Switzerland. And I know I'll be at the 10th one. And there's definitely been three or four in between that. (laughs) Janine, you're a solution-focused practitioner, coach, trainer, speaker, author. You're a business partner with Paul Z. Jackson with Mm -hmm. the Solutions Focus. And you co-authored several books together. The Resilience Pocketbook, Positively Speaking, The Art of Constructive conversations with solution focus and the executive guide to engagement resilience and performance so we're looking forward to talk about that yeah me too but before we dive into those topics Janine what is it that fascinates you about solution focus well I was thinking about how I came across solutions focus and I've been working in HR and training and development for about 13 years and I'd got very excited about coaching and I was living in New Zealand at the time and I studied NLP and all sorts of other coaching methodologies and after 13 years in organizations I stepped out and I decided I wanted to be a coach and I kept trying all these things like um, asking people about their values and beliefs and all these other models and whilst it was useful it didn't grab me and then I came across solutions focus. It was revolutionary for me. I just started asking people what they wanted, what they knew. And within weeks, my clients were becoming brilliant. I was doing so much better in my business. And I just thought this resonates with me. It's a wonderful way to work. And I have been fascinated with it ever since. You talked about the retreat, you know, Bjorn Johansson. I remember spending time with him and we would spend hours talking about a question or a word. And so not only was it the work and the approach, it was also the community of practice. Just that passion and that brilliance and the connections there. And also that that as a field, it is growing and evolving and changing all of the time. So that excites me too. I mean, it's kept me interested for what, 17, 18 years and I'm still learning. So that's what I love about it. And he said when you came across Solution Focus, your work changed and Mm -hmm. you saw people changing very quickly. So how did you learn Solution Focus and what was especially useful there to see progress that quickly? 
I bumped into Paul around 2000 and he said to me, do you know about solutions focused? And I said, of course, I'm solutions focused. And he said, well, myself and Mark are running a course, come along. And I did. And a two day course. And as I said, I trained as a coach. I'd done my ICF qualifications and all of those things. And the simplicity and paying attention to, as I've said, what people wanted and resources. Even after two days training, I could go out and coach people and get this difference. So I think that's what I liked about it. So how did your understanding of being solution focused change throughout this training and throughout your journey as a solution focused practitioner? You know, it's not just come to me with solutions. This whole thing about solution not meaning the answer, but what is it that people want? Um, I think that's the fundamental difference. Literally this relentless and dogged questioning or pursuit of finding out what people want, what they know, what they might notice or what they might do and everything that we're not doing and the elegance of briefness. I used to rock climb and I remember someone who taught me to rock climb. He said, you don't have to be strong. You don't haul yourself up a rock face. You have to be elegant. It's about balance and how you move. And that's what I think about solutions focus is it's, it's the elegance of the conversation. So you're having a conversation with someone and you think, well, how can I do this in a solutions focused manner? How can I keep away from problem talk? How can I do this in a resource based way? And to me, it's the elegance of how that is done that makes the difference. So it's not talking about solutions and coming up with the solution for something, but it's more the art of conversation and the focus we take in the conversation of asking or co-constructing a preferred future and what we are working towards. Yes. So what I really like when I came across Solutions Focus, it's very tool based. The idea that you use conversational tools and that you can pick up a tool and use it for a while and then put it down. And this resonates because whilst there is a coaching model which is a step we could go from outcome to scale to know-how firm and action the idea of tools really resonates so a platform finding out what people want and making sure that that's stated in the positive rather than in the negative so the difference between someone saying I'm overwhelmed to I would love to be able to leave work once a week at five o'clock in the evening and the platform has been an endless source of fascination <laughs> best hopes platform This is the fundamental start to probably most conversations taking a solutions focused approach. The future perfect, this detailed description of the future. And this has been fascinating me more and more as I've worked because when I started, we'd say, oh, suppose a miracle happened, how would you know? And we'd spend one or two minutes, oh, what would that look like? What would be happening? And recently I spent a lot more time with Brief, with Chris and Harvey and Evan. And this relentless pursuit of interactional detail and that quality. And this has blown me away consistently. I do a coaching session and we can spend 10 minutes to an hour talking about that. And then that's the conversation and people come back a week later and you say, well, what's better? And they go, life is just different now. It's amazing. And they say, I don't know, something's different. And we've had a conversation about suppose they wake up and things are how they wanted. What difference would that make? And how would you notice? And scaling the power of the scale just this fact that if we scale someone on a scale of one to ten ten being the best it could be and one being the opposite and the power of movement within that scale so if someone can place themselves on the scale it means that there is movement 
counters. This is overlooked so much. What do people know already? Given everything you've done in your life and what you know, what could be useful here? So every single tool, we have the small steps or more of a shift now to noticing. How would you notice progress? Compliments or encouraging people to notice their own resources. It's just an endless pack of possibilities in conversations. And you're using those conversations in your work, mainly with organizations? Yes. So what are some of the projects that really fascinate you at the moment where you apply all that, what you said? Well, as coach, I love the coaching work. It strikes me. Why do we keep something as useful as solutions focus for coaching conversations? A one hour conversation, often in organizations, it's senior execs that get coaching. When you think about it, how many conversations do people have a day? How many conversations do you have a day? And do they all go how you want? Do you get what you want from all of them? And I'm guessing probably not. So there's always that opportunity to do something different in those conversations to get what you want. And this is where we're finding a lot of traction with organizations. They're having conversations day in, day out, and ultimately they are to achieve things, to make a difference or to facilitate change. I've been doing a number of projects and some that are particularly exciting to me. I've been working with a further education college, introducing solutions focused working with the DP World. They manage all the ports. Again, introducing solutions focused coaching and conversations. Been working with them for five years and a number of projects on performance management to performance conversations, which would you like to hear about first? Uh. You're listening to the Simply Focus podcast with Alfie Cherney and Dominic Godat, your podcast for a life in joy and ease. So you mentioned performance conversations. How do they change with solution focus? If people talk about performance conversations and organizations quite often have challenges because people associate having a performance conversation with telling someone they're doing a bad job or dealing with something that isn't working. And as a result, many organizations have the challenge where they don't happen. People avoid them. They don't happen. They're uncomfortable or that people are less motivated after they've had the conversation than they were beforehand. Yet they still insist that people have these conversations once a year or once a quarter. Yet if you think that these conversations can be ongoing and we can be having useful conversations all the time that help with performance. And I've been thinking about this a lot that when you think about what it is, what's the purpose? What do we want from conversations about performance? What we don't want, we don't want to tell people they're doing a bad job. We don't even need to be setting goals. What we ultimately want when you ask people is that they want to raise someone's game or raise their performance or build a better relationship. So we can completely shift the attention of the conversation. So it's about building the relationship and getting better performance. So rather than sitting someone down and saying what's been happening over the last three to six months and straight away, both parties get into this discussion about what's not been working. And then it becomes maybe an argument, a justification or defensiveness about the past when nobody knows what to do differently. They can sit down and they can talk about well, what's gone well over the last three months, what's been working. I think if you look at a traditional performance conversation that happens once a year and it is the opportunity people see it as talking about, well, maybe we might talk a little bit about what's gone well, but ultimately we need to talk about what's gone badly so you know what to do differently next time. And if you think about that, that's slightly odd. We should be paying more attention to what we want. What does good performance look like? How do we both know that you're doing a good job? 
And this is the beauty of having a solutions-focused performance conversation. Because we often get asked, well, what if I think they should be doing something different? Or we have different views of what good performance looks like. And we have this wonderful tool. We can ask them about a future perfect. Suppose you were doing the job to the best of your ability. Suppose you were running that project. How would we know? What would it look like? And the other thing about solutions-focused performance conversations, because the manager has a stake in this, is that whilst the manager can take a coaching approach and they can ask questions, they can also make statements. So they can say, well, I love the fact that you would be doing this, that you would be leading on this engagement project and you've been talking to all those stakeholders. But the manager can also say, and this is what I'd like to see as well. So people are co-creating what good looks like. And if they've co-created and they have a clear idea of what good looks like, then we avoid a lot of these misunderstandings and miscommunications. And then we can measure progress towards that. So the scales again, oh, well, that's 10. Where are you now? What's working? And really, at no point in the conversation do people need to say, you're doing a bad job or this isn't working. So it's really the shift from what is not working to what is working, from what we not want to what we want, from kind of the dreadful past to the future perfect, preferred future, and the detailed description of how that looks like. Absolutely. And it's also not just that one conversation a year, because these conversations happen every day, every week. Just someone can simply say, well, what's better? What's different? What progress are you making? What's worked? Or I saw that. And that's what we talked about. And it's It's wonderful that you're doing that. Yeah, I really love how you highlight that. And I highly appreciate your focus on what do we want? Why do we do performance management? So you mentioned earlier, it's about building relationships. It's about having even better performance. Yes. So I was working with the college, Barking and Dagenham College, and we have introduced 40 of their managers and their educators to Solutions Focus. And we had a check-in and I'm saying to the guys, we do a two-day course and then we check in a month later and say what's better what's different and one woman comes into the room and she says I've been talking to this person who works for me she's a teacher and she is always late and this has been going on for years and in the end I said to her look I know you can be on time I've seen you be on time she said how do you do that because it would be great if you did it more often and they had a discussion about this and the person instead of getting defensive thought it was wonderful that her boss had noticed that she was on time and within a week this person was arriving on time. Another manager who looked after the English curriculum had said that she had someone who complained consistently, just all the time, moaned and complained. And she turned around to this person and said, so tell me, suppose you were having a perfect day, how would you know? And a member of staff got so excited about this and started to say, well, I'd turn up and I'd smile and students would smile with me and I'd get lots of work done. And the manager reported that her colleague had just stopped moaning and you know okay we can talk about appraisals and performance conversations but these people are just saying one or two things differently and they're raising the game of their people also at Barking and Dagenham College where we introduced solutions focus their computer system broke down their finance department's computer system one of their members of staff in the finance team triggered a glitch in the system and it meant that they couldn't pay anybody the next day this is the payroll this is the entire system and the finance manager instead of berating this person for tripping what was in effect a bug in the system stopped everyone in the team and she said right what do we know about this system what do we want we want to pay everybody tomorrow what do we know about this system what's worked and the entire team sat 
there for an hour and a half and worked out what they knew, what worked, how they'd managed to pay people, when they'd done a good job before. And within an hour and a half, they had fixed the bug. And not only they fixed the bug, but the people who owned the software had never managed to fix this bug. And they asked the college, would they now provide them with the solution? <laughs> now, imagine if the manager had just gone down the track of saying, how dare you, you've messed up. They would never have got this system working. So this is the idea of raising people's game in a performance conversation and also in the workplace. That fits well to the study we conducted in 2012-2013 Solution Focus Leadership Survey where we mm. asked leaders, well, how do you do it? How do you apply Solution Focus in the workplace? And what we heard were so many stories of everyday interactions like these mm. in this specific moment to ask a different question or to highlight something different. And for us, it became clear it's Solution Focus in leadership, in management, in everyday workplace is much more than coaching. Because when we think of coaching, it's mm. always this one hour one-to-one idea and what leaders do that are trained in solution focused they go out and do exactly those different conversations in their everyday leadership practice and such mm. a magical thing when you see that when you hear stories like you just told us that's it and i think that's interesting because as practitioners we can spend days weeks months years trying to get the best questions or the words or building our skill and then you work with managers two days and they go out and make such significant changes and they might not be the most skillful practitioners but they are skillful managers so they take what they need from this approach and then they make the difference and I think that's why when we're talking about performance conversations I get a bit stuck about it being in the appraisal because we also have this thing that everything has to be fixed in one conversation and what I like about solutions focus is it's not just one conversation or one question it's the layering so if you're consistently talking about what works or what's gone well or what resources are used over time we see that change so we have a performance culture we have a solutions focused culture And that's exciting, the systemic nature of change in that context. I really love how you highlight that it's inviting a different kind of conversation around performance. And I feel like when I worked with HR managers, mm -hmm. they often had this thing like, okay, but this employee is not performing well. And how do I do it? And your examples really show very, very well how you can invite a different conversation around performance and building on what works because it's always there. Mm -hmm. And then inviting this one different kind of conversation but then it's not only one conversation it's like inviting different kind of interactions into an organization and over time and I think this is a very very important thing that people mm -hmm. underestimate quite often as you say Yeah, I was working with the docs and we were working with the managers of the people who work on the docs. And you can imagine they have worked there for years and it's quite unionized here, very traditional piece of working. And one of the managers there came and worked with Solutions Focus and he was quite new. He just went out and he started asking people what they were doing. He recognized that they had a lot of experience. What are they doing? What was working? What was their view on a scale of one to ten? How were they doing? How had they got that high? And they turned around to him and they said, hmm, we don't know what you're doing, but we like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, these are people where they tell stories about, oh, no one on the docks will change. They've been doing the jobs for years. They're never going to listen to you. And this guy had gone in and asked a few different questions and they were excited. They felt empowered. They felt energized. 
and recognised. And again, he was getting great performance from his team through doing that. So what do you do in your trainings when you train managers, leaders, that they can go out and do this? Your secret. (laughs) What's the secret? One thing that is very important is offering it as a choice. So I don't go in and say this is the best thing ever, even though I think it is, right? It's here is a set of tools, here is an approach. If what you're doing is working all the time, then keep doing it, because I think that's very important. And if you're looking for something extra, something useful, something different, try this. So to me, that's very important. And it's about experience. Yes, we can tell them the theory. We can tell them the history, but it's the experience. And one activity I love, and there is a lot of contention about this, is the contrasting problem talking with solutions talking. You know, you get people to have a discussion in a problem-focused way and then contrast that with solutions-focused. You did this lovely exercise at the Seoul Conference where you had people grouping up and then they were the library, the playground, and I remember we had to search for problems we have and then for things we wanted the place to look like and it was a very energizing exercise. That's an evolution because I think people feel the impact, the difference of a set of problem questions versus a set of solutions questions. So they appreciate the difference it makes in that conversation and the community one was an evolution of that. So yes, inviting people to talk about a school in a problem-oriented way and within five minutes they think the school is rubbish they don't want their children to go there they're not prepared to help and then having a solutions conversation so what do we want what's good about this place what have we contributed five minutes they think it's a school with potential that they want their children to go to and that they want to get involved so I think ultimately coming back to training it's experience after experience trying things out and noticing the difference that works and also taking a solutions focused approach in the classroom so whatever people offer is useful recognizing that they are experts in their own context Mm. and that they will find the best way to use the tools because we've trained social workers i've trained high-ranking police officers all sorts of technical specialists lawyers accountants they know their jobs and i share with them the tools and some different approaches and it's just remarkable what they do I always find it very interesting to listen to people who have worked with solution focus and trained people in solution focus for several years, like 15, 19, 20, however many years people trained and how many in the beginning are very excited and they try to convince people. Mm. And many of us find out on the way that it's much more useful to, of course, be excited and still think it's the best mm. thing in the world. And offering what you just said, offering it as a choice, seeing all the re- resources, their expertise, and really also using that in trainings. And I also think rather creating experiences than talking about it. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And when they use solutions focus, however they use it, if they're getting the results they want, then that's the best way they should be using it. So it doesn't matter if their language isn't spot on or they're describing it slightly differently to how I've described it. That's not what it's about. And also going out there and looking for resources and what's working. This lovely idea of just noticing something different just facilitates change. Mm. You also wrote the Resilience Pocketbook Mm. and work around 
resilience. Mm-hmm. How do you connect resilience with solution focus? Well, we went out, we had this thing about solutions focus and we do solutions focus. And we said to our clients, we said, well, what does solutions focus do for you? And they came back and they said, well, it raises performance, it builds engagement and it builds resilience as well. So it came back and the whole topic of resilience is that it's this ability to flourish potentially in difficult situations. And we hear it about bouncing back, but it's more than bouncing back. It's about surviving and thriving. And if you think about the environment we're in at the moment, that's a fundamentally important skill. And connecting with your resources and identifying how you've got through difficulty and responding differently to mistakes that you make really does build that resilience and resource in somebody. So when somebody makes a mistake, instead of beating yourself up, we have this same theme about why did I do so badly or why was it so awful? Maybe thinking, well, you know, what did I achieve even a bit? And so we interact with some of the difficulties and challenges we have differently. And so that the next time we're building resource, so the next time something bad happens, we've got more resource to draw on. So yeah, I think solutions focus ultimately builds resilience, isn't it? They are interchangeable and well-being. You know, there's research that shows that anyone who works in a solutions focus way, it's better for your well-being because you're always looking for what's good. And I think that makes us more resourceful and resilient as well. So like you said, in teams or in organizations, when leaders start applying solution focus and they do more of it, then kind of a solution focused culture emerges where they get used and also like talking about things in this mm-hmm. way. It's the same with people applying solution focus and they're getting into this solution focused, could say habit or way of mm-hmm. thinking and way of behaving and asking themselves not only one different question, but over and over again and again, mm-hmm. those questions that focus on the preferred future, on what works well, on little signs of progress or the small next steps and really helping them thrive and be resilient. Mm-hmm. So in Liverpool, you did a piece on resilience and you talked about resilience on four different mm-hmm. levels. And I'm really curious to learn more about that. So what was that about and how does this connect with solution focus? So these were the four dimensions of resilience that we talk and write about. And they start with physical resilience. So keeping yourself physically fit and active and able because we know about the mind-body connection. So inviting people to think about what they do that helps them be physically resilient. So for example, I do yoga. I don't know what you do, but what do you do that keeps you physically resilient and fit? So you can start to notice that. And then we have mental resilience. This idea of keeping our minds fit and active. You've heard the adage, if you don't use it, you lose it. So what do we do to keep our minds mentally sharp and active so people do sudoku or even small actions even just doing an addition or a quick puzzle in our heads really keeps our minds sharp and then in addition to that we have emotional resilience and there's a strong connection between as we know and the positive psychologists know a strong connection between positive emotions and resilience this ability to flourish and bounce back and small things like did you know that even if you look at the picture of a cute animal for a 
minute that it builds your positivity and therefore your emotional resilience and inviting people to think about how they do that so that they've got a bank of kind of positive resource to draw on. Do you have pictures of your loved ones on your desks? Do you think about events occurring that are about to happen? So if you've got a big presentation, is it, oh my God, it's terrifying and everything could go wrong? Or do you see it as a great opportunity to express your opinions and thoughts? And then our fourth dimension is social resilience. And this is the connection with people. And we know that well-being is related to how the social connections we have with people. So community, for example, the solutions-focused community, talking to people, hanging out with people who share common interests and making those connections. And these four dimensions combined. So inviting people just to start noticing where they build their resilience in these areas. What do they do that works? Where do they get positive emotions from? Which are their best social connections? How do they keep themselves mentally agile? So it's where they are doing these things and potentially how they're working for them and where they can do more. And also noticing other people doing them well. So it's having the four dimensions, noticing where you're using them. And we systemically build resilience. We're not necessarily born resilience. We can learn to be resilient. And that fits very much with solutions focus is that we can learn how to do something more differently, better, simply through noticing and practice. And if you want to know more details about those four dimensions and how to use them, how to use solution focus with that, go and buy the Resilience Pocketbook. You'll find that in the resource section of this podcast. So go to www.sfontour.com slash podcast and then go to episode number 78. So Janine, looking back on your solution-focused journey, if there is one learning that really made a huge difference for you and that might also inspire someone else, what could that be? I think in a coaching context, the idea and potentially in all aspects that we shouldn't be working harder than the client, that they are doing the work. We are asking them questions opening the door and they are doing the work so in a coaching conversation if I feel I'm working too hard I physically sit back and it's the same in the training room that's the other thing trust the process trust that people will find within themselves or elsewhere they'll find the resource that they need what a beautiful learning and I think it was Steve DeShazer who said if you work harder than your client fire yourself and become your own client or something (laughs) like that that. (laughs) and I think I heard Insu once say that we open the gate and we see what walks through and that has always stuck with me so how do we open the gate so let's open another gate with the challenge of the week I love the idea of positive difference that's so important for performance the idea that if we look at performance and you look at a performance rating system, we give someone a rating and they say that they are good. But if you look at performance over time, no one is good for six months or three months. Their performance will go up and down. And within this there are some very useful differences. So what was it someone was doing at the higher point and how can we use that? How can we amplify that? And this relates really nicely to scales because we have two points on a scale. 
skills. If you think back over the past three months and you think about your ability to manage projects, what's the range that you've operated on for the past three to six months? And people can give themselves a range between, say, three and six. And then we can get very curious about the higher point. And not only does this let people appreciate what they've done well, but it also gives them some ideas as to what they might do to raise their game. And I love this idea of positive difference. And it also connects with resilience, which we've also been talking about because people will talk to them and will say, well, what's better? How did you cope? What's different? And they might say, oh, all my days are terrible or not much is different. And often we can look back and say, well, rate your days. So if you rated your days on a scale of one to 10, 10 at their best, one is the worst, and we can get a different rating. And then one day might be a three or a four. And we say, well, how come it was a three or four, not a one? And I like that. So a challenge is to do that going forwards over the next week or so. As you get to the end of your day, you can rate your day. 10 is the best it's been and one is the opposite. And when you get that number, you can start to think, well, how come it was so high? What did I contribute? And at the end of the week, which day was the best? How come? And what's useful in this? So my invitation or the challenge is to start noticing positive differences. Wow. Thank you so much for this challenge. We're looking forward to doing that ourselves. And we're curious what you find out. Please let us know how this challenge worked for you. Let us know what was useful in this podcast for you. And comment in the comment section of this podcast. Go to www.sfantour.com slash podcast and then go to episode number 78. And as Dominic mentioned, earlier as usual you will find all the resources we mentioned in the podcast in the resource section of this podcast on www.sfontour.com slash podcast and then go to episode number 78 and now we're looking forward to spending a wonderful day together and yeah really also cherishing this great solution focused community and connections we have with each other thank you very much Janine for being here with us for sharing your great stories and your passion about solution focus and bringing it into organizations inviting people to have different kind of conversations and interactions in their everyday life thank you and next week we'll have your business partner paul the jackson podcast so tune in next week and have a great week goodbye 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 wow what a great episode again do you like the Simply Focus podcast? Well, help Elfie and Dominic spread the word. Give the Simply Focus podcast an excellent rating on iTunes and Google Play and other platforms. Then don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This was the Simply Focus podcast with Elfie Cherney and Dominic Odat.